On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. In January 1982, the Commodore 64 personal computer was introduced with a 64K built-in memory for under $600. So to stay even with Commodore in memory and price, IBM will have to slash its price, quadruple its memory. Apple will also be faced with a sizable chore, and so will Atari. As Shearson American Express put it, the Commodore 64 could be the microcomputer industry's outstanding new product introduction since the birth of the industry. This is Pac-Man, one of the superstar video games in the business. Here, you must eat Energizers and Pac-Men before they eat you. Eating Energizers will give you the ability, for a short time, to eat Pac-Men. Bobby Campbell of San Francisco and Billy Walker of New York both suffer from a mysterious newly discovered disease which affects mostly homosexual men, but has also been found in heterosexual men and women. The condition severely weakens the body's ability to fight disease. The phone has been ringing off the hook at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center in Chicago. It's the regional poison control center for the entire Chicago area. Poison specialist Lane Olaf. Oh, we've been receiving calls uh, about once every 15 seconds. At Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's, we only have three poison lines, and they're lit up constantly ever since yesterday morning. Right now, they're telling people which lots of Tylenol are known to have contaminated capsules and check to see if callers have displayed any symptoms of cyanide poisoning. If uh, they have that, tell them to go to the emergency room. If they don't have that and they took it yesterday, we just tell them, you're, you're probably going to have no problem with it. Just hold on to the bottles. Don't take any Tylenol extra strength for the time being until you hear otherwise. Most of what's going on here is informational. Officials here say right. if anyone has taken a cyanide-laced Tylenol capsule, well, they, they probably wouldn't it. be able to make it to they the phone to call. Comedian John Belushi died today at the age of 33 in the prime of a career which had already made him a part of American comic folklore. Welcome to Rock and or Roll. I'm your reluctant host, BJ. This is episode number 82 of the podcast, so in this episode, we're going to talk about my top 10 favorite albums that were released in the corresponding year of 1982. On January 20th, Ozzy Osbourne bites the head off a bat on stage in Des Moines, Iowa. One month later, on February 19th, Ozzy Osbourne is arrested in San Antonio, Texas for urinating on the Alamo. And one month after that, on March 19, 1982, Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player, Randy Rhodes, is killed in a plane crash in Leesburg, Florida.
According to police, the three were on an early morning joyride after staying up over 24 hours. While some members of the Ozzy Osbourne band slept in their tour bus parked next to the house, the other three buzzed overhead, circling the bus three times. On the fourth time, they didn't make it. Uh, the plane had been flying treetop level roughly three times. And then after uh, the fourth pass, he tipped the bus on the opposite side, and then it went over the top of the bus, the plane did, and hit a pine tree in the front yard. And after it hit the pine tree, it nosedived into the home. The home then burst into flames and killed were the band's lead guitarist, hairdresser, and bus driver. On October 1st, 1982, the Sony CDP-101, the first CD player, went on sale in Japan for 168,000 yen, or $750, which is $1,800 when adjusted for inflation. Hello, remember me? Yes, you do, you know. Ring any bells? Where do you know those Sony people computerize anything? Take the new compact disc. One hour of Mozart out of a beer mat. Pure sound played by laser. Just listen to that. No hisses and crackles, of course, but if you do want that, munch a biscuit, sip a cup of cocoa, and it'll sound just like your old record player. Do you know what I mean? Fancy a dance? Sony. Whatever will they think of next? Coming in at number 10 on my top 10 favorite albums of 1982 is an album called Blackout by the Scorpions. When it came time for the Scorpions to record their eighth album in early 1981, it was discovered that singer Klaus Meine had severely damaged his vocal cords, and he ended up needing two surgeries and a lot of recovery time, and this resulted in a long delay in the finishing of the album. The band was basically dormant for all of 1981. At one point, American singer Don Dockin was brought in to sing on some demos, and it seems like they might have been auditioning him as a potential replacement for Klaus in a sort of a worst-case scenario. Don claims that you can still hear his vocals on some of the very high parts in No One Like You, Dynamite, and You Give Me All I Need. But he claims that Klaus Meiner redid most of what he did, and he really can only hear himself in rare sections. What I really love about Blackout, more than anything, is the guitar work of Matthias Jobs, especially on the title track. Check out this killer live version of the song, recorded in Offenbach, Germany in June of 1982. <laughs> 
coming in at number nine on my list of my top ten favorite albums to be released in 1982 is the self-titled solo debut by Billy Idol. After two moderately successful albums, the punk band Generation X basically broke up during the recording of their third album to be titled Sweet Revenge. That album went unreleased at the time, but a new lineup of the band with the abbreviated name Gen X released an album in 1981 called Kiss Me Deadly with a lot of the songs that they were working on for Sweet Revenge. That album went nowhere, and the band's frontman, Billy Idol, moved to New York City to pursue a solo career. He hooked up with Bill Coin, manager of KISS, signed to Chrysalis Records, and released an EP called Don't Stop in 1981. Then his self-titled solo debut was released in July of 1982. The single White Wedding was a top 10 hit in the UK, but only made it to number 36 in the US, even though the video was in heavy rotation on MTV. I've already played my favorite song from this record on the podcast on the New Wave episode, But here's another great song from the album called Nobody's Business. this 
Coming in at number 8 on my list of my top 10 favorite albums of 1982 is an album called Walk Among Us by The Misfits.
The Misfits were formed in 1977 in Lodi, New Jersey by singer Glenn Danzig. They released their first single, Cough Cool, in 1977 on Glenn Danzig's own label, Blank Records. Then Mercury Records offered Glenn Danzig and the band 30 hours of free studio time in exchange for the trademark to the Blank Records name, and the band used that studio time to record their first album, Static Age. This happened in January of 1978. However, they were unable to find a record label willing to release Static Age and instead released four of the songs as a single, an EP which they called Bullet. That was on Glenn Danzig's new record label, Plan 9 Records. The Misfits released two additional singles in 1979 and then an EP in January of 1980 called Beware. That August of 80, they recorded 12 new songs intended for an album that was never released. But three of the songs from those sessions were released as an EP called Three Hits from Hell in April of 1981. And then two more were released as the Halloween single in October. Throughout 1981, the Misfits recorded songs for their first full-length album, Walk Among Us, which was released in March of 1982 through Ruby Records and Slash Records. Walk Among Us is a really fun record, a lot of great songs. I'm going to play you the last song on the first side. This is a song called Devil's Whorehouse. Coming in at number 7 on my top 10 favorite albums released in 1982, a record called Milo Goes to College by The Descendants.
The Descendants are a punk rock band formed in 1977 in Manhattan Beach, California by guitarist Frank Nevada, bassist Tony Lombardo, and drummer Bill Stevenson. And in 1980, they enlisted Stevenson's friend from school, Milo Ackerman, as vocalist and became a major player in the hardcore scene that was developing in Los Angeles at the time. Milo Goes to College is the first full-length album by The Descendants. came out in 1982 on New Alliance Records which was a record label started by D. Boone and Mike Watt from the Minutemen. Now, even though the Descendants were sort of a part of the hardcore scene, this is just a pop-punk album, very poppy songs for the most part. A few of the uh, faster-paced, hardcore-type material, but really this is just a pop-punk record. Incredibly influential, just a great, great, legendary record. At number six on my list of my top ten favorite albums to be re- to be released in 1982 is a record called Under the Blade by Twisted Sister. Yeah. 
Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, uh, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? 
Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. The band Silver Star originally formed in 1982 as the New Jersey version of the New York Dolls. Formed by Mel Anderson, Billy Diamond, Wayne Brown, Tony Bunn, and Steve Guarino. They were soon joined by a guitar player named John Siegel, who later changed his name to J.J. French, and they changed the name from Silver Star to Twisted Sister. In 1976, the band hired a new singer named Danny Snyder, and supposedly Danny changed his name to D. Snyder at the suggestion of J.J. French. Throughout the 70s, Twisted Sister were playing a lot of covers, and they were just sort of a glam rock band. But in 1978, they decided to change directions and become more of a hard rock, heavy metal band. They released two singles on their own, which eventually made it over to the UK and caught the attention of Martin Hooker, the president of an indie label called Secret Records. And in April of 1982, they finally signed a deal with Secret, which was mainly just a punk label. And then in June of 1982, Secret released the band's first EP, Rough Cuts. This was followed soon after by their first full-length studio album, Under the Blade, executive produced by Pete Way, bass player from UFO. So the Secret Records mix is a much rougher mix of the album when it was reissued in 1985 by Atlantic after the success of Stay Hungry. They sort of cleaned it up. As far as the songs, Under the Blade is a killer record.
Coming in at number five on my list of my top 10 favorite albums to be released in 1982 is a record called The Kids Are the Same by the Paul Collins Beat. This band, as The Beat, uh, they released a self-titled album in 1979, which really is one of the greatest albums ever. Paul Collins, the leader, the guitar player, singer of the band, was the drummer in an amazing early power pop band called The Nerves with Peter Case and Jack Lee. Peter Case went on to form The Plimsolls. Jack Lee wrote Hanging on the Telephone. You can hear all four songs from The Nerves' amazing 1976 EP, on, I believe, the very first episode of the podcast. Like I said, the first album by The Beat, one of the greatest rock albums of all time. Uh, this band is the reason that the other band was called The English Beat, but still, for their second album, they changed the name to The Paul Collins Beat. And this is not as good as the first album, but this is a great record. The Kids Are the Same. According to Wikipedia, it came out in 1981, but I have the album right here, and it says 1982. The first song on the album, That's What Life Is All About, one of my favorite songs ever. Played it on maybe at the end of the second episode ever of the podcast, I think. Uh, the second song of the record, Dreaming, is great. The title track is great. Let's hear another great song from this album, The Kids Are the Same by the Paul Collins Beat. This is a song called I Will Say No. 
Coming in at number four on my list of my top ten favorite albums to be released in 1982 is a record by Adam Ant called Friend or Foe. I'm not 
So after three albums with his band, Adam and the Ants, Adam Ant went solo. Um, the first Adam and the Ants album, Dirk Wears White Socks, not a very good record at all. Then his entire band, I believe, was hijacked by Malcolm McLaren. Uh, he installed Annabelle, Annabeth, whatever her name is, and they became Bow Wow Wow. Uh, then Adam formed a new version of the Ants and made two very excellent records, Kings of the Wild Frontier and Prince Charming. Then he went solo, so to speak. He took guitar player Marco Peroni along with him, and together they wrote and produced this very unique and just killer record called Friend or Foe. I love this album, and there's nothing like it, really. The single, Goody Two Shoes, was number one hit in the UK, went to number 12 in the US, was kind of a big song on MTV. The title track was also a top 10 hit in the UK, Let's hear probably my favorite song from this album, Friend or Foe by Adamant, a song called Place in the Country.
coming in at number three on my list of my top ten favorite albums of 1982. I actually already did an entire episode of the podcast about this record. It's an album called Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen's brilliantly dark and very literary folk album recorded in his house on a four-track. Just brilliant songwriting. Um, If you want to learn a lot more about this record, go listen to the podcast I did with Brian Sword from the Double Stop devoted almost two hours devoted to this album. Uh, Right now, let's hear a song from the record called Johnny 99. more 
Alright, coming in at number two on my list of my top ten favorite albums of 1982. This band inexplicably actually showed up on the Noah Shame episode of the podcast I did with the Decibel Geek. Aaron Camaro apparently thinks it might be <laughs> embarrassing to like these guys, but this I'm putting this at number two of my favorite albums of the year because all the way through this self-titled debut album by the Violent Femmes is absolutely amazing. I love it. gets rough then I start to panic it's not enough it's just the habit a kid you're sick well darling this is it you can all just kiss off into the air behind my back I can see them stare they'll hurt me bad but I won't mind they'll hurt me bad they do it all the time yeah yeah, yeah they do it all the time yeah yeah they do it all the time they do it all the time The band formed in 1980 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin as a trio. Gordon Gano on vocals and guitar, Brian Ritchie on bass, and Victor DeLorenzo on drums. And they played coffee houses and street corners, and they were actually discovered by the Pretenders guitar player, James Honeymoon Scott. This happened on August 23rd of 1981, when the band were busking on a street corner in front of the Oriental Theater. I used to live right down the street from that place, on the east side of Milwaukee. Uh, the, the Pretenders were playing there that night, and uh, James Honeymoon Scott saw the Violent Femmes playing out on the sidewalk and obviously was impressed, as 
I think a lot of us would have been. And then Chrissy Hind invited them to play a brief acoustic set after the opening act. I'm not sure who the opening act was that night, but uh, then the Violet Femmes, that night they got to open, or do a few songs at least, uh, before the Pretenders played. And eventually, in April of 1982, their debut album was released by Slash Records. And the album actually went gold over the next four years without ever appearing once on the Billboard Top 200. The album did eventually crack the Top 200, peaking at number 171 in 1991, almost 10 years after it came out, and that same year it was certified platinum. Most of the songs on the record were written by Gordon Gano when he was still in high school. The album obviously is most famous for Blister in the Sun, but the first four songs are all just great. Uh, and if you haven't heard this song, Add It Up, then enjoy. your boy is done he's walking around like he's number one he went downtown and he got all my guns don't shoot 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 that thing at me don't shoot 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 that thing at me you know you got my sympathy but don't shoot 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 that thing at me don't shoot 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 that thing at me don't shoot 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 that thing at me you know you got my sympathy but don't shoot 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 that thing at me Affairs, share a smoke, make a joke, grasp and reach for a leg of hope. 
Words to memorize, words hypnotize, words make my mouth exercise. Words all fail the magic prize. Nothing I can say when I'm in your thighs. Come on, my, 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 my mother. I would love to love you, lover. City's restless, it's ready to pounce. Go in your bedroom, ounce for ounce, and more. My, 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 my mother. I would love to love you, lover. It's ready to pounce, go here in your bedroom, ounce for ounce. I've given you a decision to make, things to lose, things to take. Just as about ready to cut it up. Wait a minute, honey, I'm gonna add it up. I'm gonna add it up. Quick story about that song. When I was in seventh grade, my German teacher, Frau Findley, uh, during study time, I guess, used to let us bring in tapes and play them on her little boombox. And another kid in that class, I think his name was Rob, he brought the first Violent Femmes album. And since it was Wisconsin, a lot of us in the class were familiar with it. And we sat there as it played, waiting for the song added up. And then the song plays, and we're just waiting. Everybody's eyes are on the teacher. And then when Gordon Gano gets to a certain part of the song, she just looks up with her mouth dropped wide open and jumps up and turns it off. And we were all laughing because we knew it was coming. Now I'm going to play you another song from that record. And this song features the best bass solo that you will ever hear. This is the last song on the album and one of my favorite ballads ever. It's just a soul-crushing ballad. I used to use this song to torture myself as a teenager. Great song by the Violent Femmes called Good Feeling. Laughing at the sunrise like he's been 
And we've arrived at my favorite album, released in 1982. And this should really come as no surprise. It's a record called One on One by Cheap Trick.
1980 was a tumultuous year for Cheap Trick. Following the multi-platinum success of their live album at Budokan and fourth studio album, Dream Police, they split with their production partner, Tom Werman, and recorded a mildly strange album under some duress with legendary Beatles producer George Martin. Bassist Tom Peterson left the band before the album was released to pursue a solo career, and he was replaced with a contemporary of Cheap Tricks from the 70s Midwest rock scene, a guy named Pete Kamita. Uh, they knew him from a couple different bands. He was in a band called Star Driver and a band called The Thumbs. That band, The Thumbs, also featured a singer named Cliff Johnson, who later ended up in the band's Pez Band and then Off-Broadway. Imminently problematic was the fact that Kamita was a guitar player, not a bass player in his previous bands, and not to mention he was the primary songwriter in his previous bands. Actually, the bassist in both of those bands, Star Driver and The Thumbs, was a guy named John Brandt, who will play a pivotal role in our story a little later. In early 1981, Cheap Trick booked some studio time, and with the help of producer Roy Thomas Baker, they recorded two songs for the heavy metal soundtrack with Pete Comita on bass, including a superb fist pumper called Reach Out, which was supposedly only coincidentally co-written by Kamita with Bob James, the guy who replaced Sammy Hagar in Montrose. The only other studio recordings that Cheap Trick did with Pete Kamita were a few songs for a Canadian animated film called Drats, which would be renamed Rock and Rule before its eventual release in 1983. Those songs did end up being released on the Cheap Trick box set in the 90s. The songs, which are performed by a band of cartoon rodents in the film, are harbingers of things to come for Cheap Trick. I'm the Man and Born to Raise Hell are both quite heavy, and Robin Zander really gives his lungs and throat a workout. Even though All Shook Up made it to number 24 on the Billboard charts, which was actually higher than, than Dream Police charted, and uh, the album eventually went gold, I suppose for whatever reason it essentially failed to capitalize on the success of At Budokan and Dream Police. Perhaps the songs were not as immediately accessible as the songs on Dream Police, but you can tell that the band was trying to evolve with the times and stay relevant, I guess. So, they were no longer label darlings at this point, and they soon found themselves mired in litigation with CBS, the parent company to their record label Epic, uh, over a contract dispute. The future of the band was sort of up in the air for a while, but they eventually wound up signing back on with, e with Epic, at which point... Pete Kamita promptly left the band. And so, in late 1981, an incomplete, battle-worn cheap trick found themselves once again working with producer Roy Thomas Baker, this time at Pierce Arrow Recorders in Evanston, Illinois. The band was still minus a bass player, so guitarist Rick Nielsen would play bass on all of the tracks on the record. Roy Thomas Baker was most famous for having produced Queen's first four albums and more recently to the Cheap Trick album, the Cars' first four albums, and he also produced Head Games for Foreigner and Alice Cooper's New Wave, he flushed the Fashion album, and D Devo's quirky Oh No It's Devo. Considering this varied pedigree, how exactly would Roy Thomas Baker approach producing an innovative and schizophrenic rock band like Cheap Trick? Well, as it turns out, they went heavy. The production on the album, one-on-one, -on -one, is balls to the wall.
Side note, Cheap Trick enlisted a new bass player just in time to have him slip into the studio and record over Rick Nielsen's bass tracks on a few of the songs, and that bass player would be John Brandt, uh, the guy who was in those two bands with Pete Comita, the guy he replaced. It's really hard to believe that One on One came out only five years after Cheap Trick's jarring debut album. That record, their debut, featured a chaotic brew of hard rock, glam, and punk and was recorded virtually live in the studio with Jack Douglas producing. They made three more classic polished records with Tom Werman, and then the out-of-left-field all shook up with George Martin. But by the time One on One was recorded and released, MTV had debuted and was poised to explode, and so the music industry would be forever changed. And with the punk craze come and gone, fringe rock and roll in the 80s would be dominated by new wave and then heavy metal but 70s rock was pretty much history. Cheap Trick were unique enough to bridge that gap, but where would they fit in the 80s? That's what they had to figure out. But they definitely weren't a new wave band. But One on One is probably as close to heavy metal as Cheap Trick ever came, but there's also a lot of punk going on in this record as well. But it's just a loud, brash, in-your-face album. The album, One on One, was released on April 30th, 
1982, which the, is the exact same day that Kirsten Dunst was born. You think I care about that? The record features an amazing single, a ballad called If You Want My Love. It's a wonderful song, masterfully crafted by Rick Nielsen with an astonishing vocal delivery by Robin Zander. Rick Nielsen would pen four more spectacular ballads in the 80s. Why oh why oh why, tonight it's you, this time around, take me to the top. But none of them were hits, and it would not be until the record company forced a cornball ballad concocted by outside writers on the band that they would finally score that elusive hit. It's pathetic, because If You Want My Love is so much better than The Flame, it's just ridiculous. If You Want My Love should be a radio staple today. One of those songs that everyone knows. I mean, how could it not be? Yes, I thought you were a mystery girl A special girl in this crazy old world You couldn't see me when I laid eyes on you Lonely is lonely a place You don't know what it's like You can't fight it Side one of one-on-one closes with a frightening exercise in brutality called looking out for number one. Just a crunchy, heavy, crazy song. Listen to the way Robin Zander morphs his voice to fit this song. He sounds possessed. I'm looking out for
another single off this record, and they had a video that got some airplay on MTV. It's the first song on side two, She's Tight, still features in the band's live set to this day. I want to play you one more song from One on One. Maybe my favorite song on the record. Hard to say what my favorite song on this album is because it's such a great record. But this is a song from the second side. Short song called Time is Running. So there you have it, my top 10 favorite albums of 1982. Let me know what I missed. Uh, send me an email, rockandorrollpodcast at gmail.com. Go find the Facebook page. If you just go to the blog, rockandorrollpodcast.blogspot.com, you can find all the links. 
and pertinent information there. And now, to play us out. What does that mean, to play us out? I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. I'm going to leave you with the B-side to the She's Tight single. So this is a song recorded by Cheap Trick during the one-on-one sessions. They should have put it on the record, but instead they put it on the B-side of She's Tight. Amazing song by Cheap Trick called All I Really Want. Until next time. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship 
the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.